us that God is worthy. He's worthy of everything, all things, and we thank him so very, very much. Well, God bless you for being in here today. Happy Mother's Day. I hope that if you have a mother that you have already made the phone call and you have said Happy Mother's Day and you have thanked her for all that she has done for you. What amazing mothers we have. I made the call early this morning, and uh, my precious mother is 91 years of age, and uh, an incredible, incredible woman. Uh, she uh, taught me a lot. You know, mothers say that, uh, you know, being a mother is filled with uh, frustrations and challenges, but eventually they move out. You know, those challenges come in the story of one little boy that uh, went to his mother and said, Mother, said, what would you rather happen to me, that I got run over with a car or if I spilled glue all over my new shoes? She said, of course, honey, I'd pray that you spill glue all over your shoes. He said, Mom, your prayer has just been answered. <laughs> well, you know, mothers teach us a lot. They do. Uh, one person said, my mother taught me religion. When I spilled grape juice on the carpet, she instructed, you better pray the stain will come out of that carpet. My mother taught me logic from her decisive words because I said so. That's why. One other person said, my mother taught me foresight. Make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. My mother taught me irony. Keep laughing, and I'll give you something to cry about. My mother taught me stamina. You'll sit there till all that's finished is finished. One person said, my mother taught me about weather. It looks as if a tornado swept through your room. My mother taught me the circle of life. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. Another person said, my mother taught me about behavior modification. Stop acting like your father. <laughs> and last of all, my mother taught me about envy. There are millions of less fortunate children in the world who don't have a wonderful mom like you do. Well, we learn a lot from our mothers. And so we wish you a happy Mother's Day today and thank you moms for being here and then children for uh, your being here. Uh, I, I wanted to speak today on the subject, the vapor of life. That's a Mother's Day message that I speak that talks about the brevity of life and how that we can, if we're not careful, overlook paying attention to our parents and, and parents paying attention to our children because life happens so fast. I mean, it's, it's amazing how fast it happens, and even now, I don't know about you, but it, it, it appears to me that the days and weeks are just going like that. It is amazing. So uh, I'm going to go in a different direction, but I only want to say to you, uh, moms and, and dads and moms, uh, make sure that you... Don't let life become like a vapor and you miss out those wonderful opportunities with your children. And then children, 
uh, sons and daughters, make sure that you don't overlook the preciousness of your mom and your dad because uh, if you speak to anybody here today who no longer has their father or their mother, I guarantee you they will tell you that they wish that they had taken more uh, time to spend with them. They had gotten more time with them. And I know my father passed away a year and a half ago, and that's exactly how I feel. But a wise man told me when I moved to Chattanooga, I'd been away from my father for uh, many, many years. And uh, when I say being away, I pastored in other towns that were four and five hours away, and it was just hard to get there. So when I moved closer to Chattanooga and was an hour and a half away from him, one of my members, one of my senior members at our church said, Pastor, said, I'm going to tell you this. Said, take every opportunity you can to visit with your parents. And I took him at his word. So from that point on, when I would go with any, with any distance close to mom and dad, if I had to drive 45 minutes out of the way, I'd scoot off the interstate and go over and spend an hour or two with them. And I'm so thankful that I did because I didn't realize that only like a year later I would lose my father. And now my mother is aged, and I'll see her tomorrow, and I'm so thankful for my parents. So anyway, uh, with that being said, today's the last day I'm going to get to be with you. Next week, Dr. Mark Walker will be here to speak with you. He's been here before, and uh, so he'll be here. And then the Sunday thereafter, your new pastor will be here. Amen. What an exciting time that that's going to be. And uh, someone asked me, uh, did he get a good vote? And I'm here to tell you that he got better than 96% vote to come to the church. So I told you he had got an overwhelming majority of the vote, and he did. And he's excited about coming and being here, and I know that you're excited about him being here. So with that being said, I want to read the scripture that uh, the Lord has given to me. Today, I sent a PowerPoint yesterday of something I thought I was going to speak on, and then uh, at 6 a.m. this morning, there was a change in my mind, and, uh, and uh, I don't know every, every time why that happens and, and what, what goes on, but I struggled throughout the night last night, and I just didn't feel comfortable, and so I decided to go a different direction today, and hopefully uh, I have uh, made the right decision. But let us pray. Father, you're the God of all grace, the God of all power, and you are so good to us. Lord, you serve us as both mom and dad, and you do such a wonderful job at that. So we thank you. We bless you for the parental guidance you give to us, for the power of your spirit that you comfort us with, and for all that you do for us on a day-to-day -day basis. We love you, Father and we bless you. We pray for every mother today and for every child. Lord, we pray that your hand will be upon them and that this day will be a great day in their memory as well as their memory of you. And Lord, now guide us as we minister the word today. Help us. Holy Spirit, anoint us and touch us with only that touch that you can give and let us break the bread of life according to your will. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you, two passages, as a matter of fact. One from Hebrews 11, verses 1. The Scripture says, Now faith 
is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then in Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. I want to talk to you about the elements of faith. Everyone in this world lives by faith. Whether you're a sinner or a believer, you live by faith. The Christian centers their focus upon God. The sinner upon the world. So each has faith. What makes the difference is the object of that faith. The object. And uh, Satan, in his trials and tribulations and his attacks upon the Christian, he does not want you to lose your belief in God. He just wants to change the object of that belief. He wants to change you from how you view God and your faith in Him. Now, there are four kinds of faith that you and I experience in life. First is the faith for which we believe. It is talked about in Jude 1.3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning the, our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting to you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now that faith is represented by our belief in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the triune Godhead, uh, repentance, salvation, being born again, all of those uh, Christian doctrines and beliefs that we have is represented in the faith and then there is a faith with which we believe Romans 12 3 says for I say to the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith and then there is what's called the gift of faith 
Now, the gift of faith is talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, it says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. Now, what we believe there is that through the Holy Spirit, God at times imputes into believers an incredible, extraordinary ability to believe God for the impossible through the gift of faith. It is another dimension of faith outside of just living faith, and that is the fourth category of faith that we have, and that is the faith with which we live. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, the scripture says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We live by faith every day of our lives by trusting God in all that we need and all that we see and all that we do. Now, there are some signs of unbelief that we express that lets us know and possibly others that the object of our faith has changed. For instance, if you are overcome with worry, now this is doubt in God being able to handle your situation, which means suddenly your focus has become uh, centered on an inadequate God. Or if you experience overwhelming loneliness, this is doubting God's presence and um, Faith makes presence real to us, so it means that your object has changed from a present God to an absent God. Or if you're overcome with guilt, this is doubting God's full forgiveness of sins by His grace, which means if you doubt that, then suddenly the object of your faith has become an untruthful God. Or if you're disobedient, this means that you doubt God's commandments that he gives to you in his word that says don't do this or don't do that. And if you are in a, living a life of disobedience, then it means that the object of your faith has suddenly become a passive God. You don't really believe that God will judge, that God does what he says he will do in respect to holding you accountable for your sins. And then the last one is fear. Now, fear is the opposite of faith, and it simply means that you're living in uncertainty, and so you have now begun to focus upon an unreliable God. All of those things are problematic to the Christian life. And so much of this comes, and I do hope you'll stay with me with your attention because it's important. I really want to teach you something today. It, when you experience all these things, then it means that you have failed to move from belief to faith. From belief to faith. Now, what do you mean by that, uh, Pastor? Belief is the starting place, but we cannot stay there. For instance, in Romans 10, 9 through 11, the writer says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with, mouth, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him 
will not be put to shame. In that particular passage, there is the aspect of belief, but also faith. We start by a simple belief that God will forgive us, but we move into the area of faith, which means that now we're trusting that God has forgiven us, and we are living by faith in Him. Mark 11, 12-14 is the same case. Now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing from afar off a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. And then later on, after he had done this, later on, they come back around, and the next morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Now, have faith and believe that I had the ability to do that. But, he said, for assuredly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be thou removed. You not only have belief that I can do this, but he said, have faith in God. For if you say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, and you do not doubt in your heart, but believe that those things that you say will be done, you will have whatever you say. Therefore I say to you, what things you ask when you pray, believe that you will receive them and you will have them. So we have this element of belief and also faith. Belief says that you know that God can move things out of your life. But faith puts that belief into action and now you're trusting and believing and having faith in the fact that God will move that situation for you. Not only that he can, but he will move it out of the way in your life. You see, again, the problem is our moving from simple belief over into the area of faith. So then I give you a definition, a definition of what faith is. What is faith? One person has said, faith is this, knowledge of God's will plus belief in his ability to provide plus personal risk, plus personal risk. Let me say it again, knowledge of God's will plus belief in his ability to provide plus personal risk. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, what happens is this, belief is merely settled confidence that God is able to do something or everything. Now, we can have a profound level of belief and still not have faith. See, the confidence, no matter how deep, is merely belief, not faith, until there is some knowledge of God's will and a measure of personal risk added to the mixture. Now, this will come, become clearer for you in, in just a moment. See, most of us have a deep conviction that God 
will provide and meet our financial needs. However, most of us take care of our own finances. We work on a job regularly without really miracles being involved. We earn money and we pay our bills. Now, we will not have faith until there is a situation where we cannot take care of our own finances without some miracle of God coming through for us. For instance, you have believed that God will take care of your financial situation. But that will only be mere belief until you possibly lose your job. Now, once you lose your job and you don't have the money to make your house payment and you're threatened with the loss of your home, then suddenly belief moves to faith because there is an element of risk involved. You believe God will keep you healthy, but that's belief. But let's suppose that you come down with cancer or you have a heart attack and they say that your heart is damaged beyond the ability to repair itself, then belief turns into faith because suddenly you're crying out and saying, God, I believe you, but now I want you to heal me. I believe you're able to do the impossible, but now I'm believing you to do it in my own life. Faith, belief moves to faith where we are suddenly trusting for God to supernaturally provide for us. Now listen, it's not wrong to have only belief and not faith because this is the normal state of affairs with a lot of people. It's not wrong to do that. We will not have faith until there is a situation where we cannot meet our own needs. Then, again, we begin to move into this aspect of having more than just belief without faith. So it's not wrong. We have those experiences. But what God wants us to do is to move from belief into experiencing genuine living faith. Now, I read to you the passage in the beginning. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of not, things not seen. Then the passage from Daniel. What I'm talking about is exactly what happened in the lives of the three Hebrew children. In that passage, they were brought as captives to Babylon. Now, they had a strong belief in God. And a lot of changes took place in their lives. Their names were actually changed. Did you know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not their original names? But those names were changed. Then the king tried to change their diet. And ultimately then, he erected this, this idol, this false god, and commanded everyone to bow down to it. Now, the three Hebrew children had a strong belief and knowledge that scripture, that God's principles taught them, you shall have no other gods before me. They had that belief. They knew it was wrong to bow down to a false image. That was a strong belief. But what happened is, the king said, 
if you do not do this, then I'm going to cast you into the burning, fiery furnace. So what happened? Their belief was tested. There was an element of risk that came into the area of their belief, and that element of risk turned their belief into faith. So now they're saying, O king, if you do that, we're not going to bow down to your image. We're not going to do that. And if you choose to throw us into the burning, fiery furnace, so be it. But we will not bow down, and our God, whom we serve, will deliver us. Now, they didn't know how God was going to deliver them, because God had not told them. But they had this unresolved faith to kick in that said, we not only believe in God and in the principles of God, but now we believe that through God we shall experience deliverance from everything that threatens us. Now, again, what happens in our lives is that we're going along and everything's running smooth with our belief. Oh yeah, we believe God. We come to church, worship, read the Bible. It's all going well. But then something happens in our lives to where we're sort of shocked to consciousness. Because suddenly we gain the realization that we're mortal. We're not going to live forever. Or that although we have taught our family about God and we brought our children to church as moms and dads, suddenly we realize that although we brought them to church and taught them scriptures, that the devil, that did not keep the devil from touching them or from getting access to them. So now the enemy is reaping havoc in their lives. And so we find ourselves praying this kind of prayer, God, if you don't come through, I'm not going to make it. My family is not going to make it unless you come through. You see what I'm talking about? Our faith moves from belief over into living faith. And sometimes we cry and say, oh God, why are you doing this? What's going on? You know, the three Hebrew children could have said that. They could have said, God, why are you treating us this way? Why are you treating us this way? They didn't do that. They simply said, we have belief in God, but we have also faith in God. They believed, and they trusted, and they obeyed. Now, they said, O king, we believe in the ability of God, the willingness of God, and the sovereignty of God, that all is going to be well. Well. Now what the enemy wants us to do is, he wants us in that belief to resort to doubting God. If he can keep us only in the area of belief, then our, the object of our attention can change and suddenly fear creates within us. Worry creates within us. Doubt creates within us. But when you move on, 
And you say, no, no, I, I, I know that this word says all things are possible with God, but I'm doing more than just quoting it. I'm standing on it. I'm possessing it. I'm saying it out of my mouth like Mark 11. I'm not only believing it, I'm saying it, and I'm stating it that God is going to move this mountain from my life. It's going to disappear. It's going to vanish because I not only believe in God, I believe God that he's going to do the impossible for my life. Now, let me go one step further. Okay, so God wants to move us from belief to faith. There is a difference between faith and presumption. Faith and presumption. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, it is the knowledge of God's will that distinguishes faith from presumption. Let me just give it to you like this. Let's suppose that you have your house payment in hand. It's in the bank. And you don't have any other reserves left over, but you do have your house payment. And let's suppose that you go to JCPenney's and they got a 75% off sale. And you see all kinds of things that you want. And suddenly, before you know it, you've written a check out in the amount of your house payment for all this stuff. And you do it and say, ah, I'm not worried about it because I've got faith. I, I'm believing God. God's going to give me the money some other way. Well, that's presumption. That's not faith. That's presumption. See, God is not obligated to work on behalf of our presumption. But he is obligated to our faith. Now, you may ask the question, well, how do we know what God's will is? God's will comes to us through biblical revelation and through extra biblical revelation but whether it's biblical revelation or extra biblical revelation at the end of the day it will all coincide with what the book says now let me give you a for instance the three Hebrew children knew from the Ten Commandments they knew from Scripture that you should not bow down and have any other gods before the God. Okay? But, again, they did not know how God was going to deliver them. So they had that. So that meant that their faith could be established on the biblical revelation of God's word that they were not to bow. But they could not presume to say that God will not let the furnace light or that the flames will be like icicles 
or somehow some interruption is going to come and the king's going to forget about this mess. They couldn't presume to say that because they had not been given that word. See? So they had biblical revelation. Now, extra biblical revelation comes in the form of, let's say, when Mary, the mother of Jesus, when the angel appeared to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. Now, scriptures, prophecies were given that a Messiah would be born. But there was nothing in that prophecy that said Mary was the girl. Right? But all of a sudden the angel said, Mary, you are the one. And what did she do? She said, be it so be it according to your word. She trusted in that word because that word did not do any disgrace to the scripture. And so through that revelation, through that word, then Mary became the mother of Jesus. Her belief was turned into faith. Because suddenly, not only did she believe that a Messiah would be born, now she has faith to believe that God is going to bring that Messiah through her so she can take on the responsibility, even though she's not married. She knows that conception will come by the power of the Holy Spirit because the angel says so. She doesn't know how it's all going to work out, but she trusts and believes God, and she becomes the mother of Jesus. Now, Again, if we're not careful, we can work under presumption rather than faith. Well, I bought this house, and it's, uh, it's priced at two times more than what I can afford. Uh, but you know, I just felt like the Holy Spirit told me to buy it. And now you're putting God on the spot to help you pay for it. Now, God knew your finances before. Uh, did he not? And, uh, you know, we just have to use logic sometimes. That God's not going to tell you to do something that's going to stress you out. Now, if God tells you to buy that house... And you know you can afford 200000 and they're offering 400000 for it. But God tells you to buy it and offer them 200000 for it. Then, hey, believe God and go for it. I was talking to Pastor Sam Youngblood that pastored this church when you bought this property and built this building. And he told me the story of how that they had this property up for sale, I think, for over a million dollars. And how that he called the realtor and the realtor said, somebody's already bought it they got an option on it he said well when they back out said give me a call because that's our property and the real estate said real estate person said give you yeah when they back out call me and sure enough he said i think the next day or the day after they called him and said they they backed out on the deal said the property's up for sale and brother youngblood said all right said i'm going to give you we're going to give you i think like two hundred something thousand dollars for it some of you know the story better than i but it was something like that. We're going to give you. I mean, it was an ungodly lower amount. And the guy, you know, I, I thought he was crazy. But that's what 
Brother Youngblood felt that the Lord had told him to offer. And guess what? You're sitting in the building today, aren't you? <laughs> Belief was turned into faith. And it wasn't presumption. It was based upon the Spirit of the Lord that always agrees with the Word of God. It does not go in disharmony to the Scripture. When God tells you something, if the Holy Ghost tells you something, then you make sure it lines up with this Word before... Well, let me say, if you think the Holy Spirit tells you something, because he's not going to tell you anything that doesn't line up with the Scripture. But we have all kinds of crazy stuff that happens where people work out of presumption rather than faith. All right, let me close this thing down. Okay? Am I making sense to you? All right. So, when we work out of presumption, then if we're not careful, we test God instead of believing in God. You remember what the devil tried to do with Jesus at the temptation? He said, throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple because the word is said that he'll bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus said, you shall not test the Lord your God. You remember in the passage in Mark chapter 16, in Mark 16 where the Bible says that... Uh, you go out and preach and said you'll take up serpents and scorpions and if you drink any deadly thing, it shall by no means harm you. Well, there's a lot of people, some close to here, that have thought that meant that you handle rattlesnakes during worship and you drink deadly poison. And it's because the Word says, listen, that's presumption rather than faith. God never told you to drink it. He said, if, if. Now, I'm telling you right now, with all the food we are served over the counters and fast food and restaurants these days, you better believe you've eaten some poisonous stuff, but it didn't hurt you because you're a believer. Amen? And I'm not going to go looking for a rattlesnake, but if I find one, I'll hoe handle it. Now, some of you don't even know what a hoe is, some of you younger people, but, you know, some of us do. Yes, you don't work on presumption, you work on faith. And when you work on faith, your belief runs into faith. Then God honors, honors what you believe and God comes through for you. God will not be manipulated into doing something for you. But he does honor his word. And what we must do again is to move from belief into faith. Uh, I don't know what time it is. Let me check right here and see. All right. One more thing and I'm going to close. Let's bring up that subject that ah, nobody wants to talk about. Let's bring up tithing. Malachi says, if you bring the tithe into the storehouse, he says, bring it in. And the Lord will open up the windows of heaven. And he says, test me herewith, saith the Lord, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you can't contain. Uh, a lot of people believe that giving to God is good. They believe scripture. But they just don't believe that's the truth. Because they're afraid to test God. I've never known of someone that tested God in that respect, but what God didn't come through. 
As a matter of fact, I tell him, if you're worried and concerned and fearful about tithing your income to God, try it for three months. And if God don't help you, then hey, quit. I think you'll turn, find out that God helped you. He, you can prove it because you're operating off of faith in the Scripture and you're trusting God for all things. Now, with all of that being said, the reason why it is so important is because, listen, God, in all of His ability and His goodness, God is good. God is great. He's greatly to be praised. Put that last slide up there, will you, if you got it? I can't find it here. There you go. Four things about God's ability. The reason why you need to move from belief to faith is because there is no circumstance that he cannot handle. No circumstance. That God can do the impossible and he does. Belief says he can. Faith knows he doesn't. There's no sickness that he cannot heal. That's why we have to move from belief to faith. There is no sickness. You can believe that God's a healer, but hey, if you're sick, get in the prayer line and have yourself anointed with oil and let the prayer of faith save the sick and the Lord raise you up by his healing power. There is no sin he cannot forgive. I don't care how grievous it is. You need to not only believe that he's a forgiver, but have faith that he can forgive the awful, horrible sin that you have committed. He can set you free. Last of all, I want to tell you there's no sinner he does not love. You can believe that God is love. I want to tell you there's not a person in this building or outside of this building that God does not love. God loves the most horrible, despicable evil person that walks upon the face of this earth. He does not love their deeds, but he loves them. And the only hope for our circumstances, our sicknesses, our sins, and the salvation of those that are outside this building is for us to move from belief, not only believe that God will and God can, but Believe that God is doing it through this church and God will do it. That when you speak his word forth, that word germinates in the hearts of sinners. That word germinates in the lives of sick people. That that word germinates in the midst of worry. And through that germination, God reproduces his spirit within the people. And he sets men and women free. Stand with me. Praise him just for a moment. Come on. Lift your voices and praise him. Come on. Yes, Lord. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Lord, we believe you. And we let our faith become activated in you. Knowing that faith is the substance of things hoped for. 
the evidence of things not seen, but we also know that it's impossible to please you unless we believe that you are and that you're a rewarder of those that diligently seek you, Lord. We believe, we believe, we believe, we believe, we believe. We activate, we activate, we activate. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Now, whatever situation has moved into your life that you have question about, again, let me say that it's highly possible that the very thing that you're going through now is God's action in your life to move you from belief to faith. And so, if you make the journey, all is going to be well. So I encourage you to say, Lord, I don't understand this, but I know there's a way out of it. And so, not only do I believe, but now I exercise my faith and the words of my mouth is what you want to do in Jesus' name. Does anybody here today, you need prayer for anything? We're ready to pray for you. If you will come forth this morning, we will pray for you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And believe that God will forgive you of your sins, that God will heal you of your sicknesses, that God will deliver you from your circumstances that God will do what he needs to do for you. Is there anybody need prayer for anything today in this house? Sing a chorus. We'll give just a moment. We'll close out in prayer. It's you.